seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride an illegal trip. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. Those Abaka is a Chinese down here. Using snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you get around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know? Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisperer. Ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and the Great Basin. Today's February 21st, 2023, episode two. Powbot, we've doubled our episode inventory in one show. We're doing it. This is amazing. We're back. Where are we recording today? Uh, we're re- recording at Olab here in Truckee, California. And I think this is a pretty cool, old, historic building. And I'm hoping that Matt can tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, let's introduce our first guest on Mind the Track and our host tonight at uh, the historic Gray's Cabin here in downtown Truckee, uh, Matt Chapel. Welcome, buddy. What's up, bud? Not much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the kind intro. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, Olab. And, uh, and you're also co-founder of TDU, Truckee Dirt Union, and then a little bit about the history of this building we're in today. Right on, yeah. Uh, Olab is a branding design studio, 13 years in downtown Truckee. Something we're really proud of. We worked really hard to uh, create our own, you know, sort of creative, professional creative sanctuary. And uh, there are several people working here in, in historic Gray's cabin to, you know, push their own professional work in the creative space. And, uh, you know, we, we really, we're really fond of this cabin. It's, it's somewhat of a family heirloom has been, uh, for many, many years, my father-in-law, this was also his office at one point in time. And then my wife, Katie Lynette and I took it over and, uh, modeled it up to be a really awesome space to do your best work and that's that's our dream just up here in Truckee just working from afar uh, we were, were new to the game back when it was you know less of a uh, what is it called now remote working before remote <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before there was a remote was working trendy. yeah we were we were working remotely at orbital laboratory up in the mountains and the dream was to still be able to be a flourishing creative uh, and to make a living doing that, but to be inspired every day by nature um, and action-oriented because you're, you know, you're living it, breathing it firsthand day in and day out as part of your practice and bringing that into the studio. So we've cultivated a really nice environment of that and have attracted really awesome other members who bring opportunities into the fold and, and cultivate the creative spirit here in Truckee. As a, as a sort of modular agency, branding agency model. It's pretty sweet. And then uh, we've also had sort of a really awesome, lucky, maybe you would say, um, series of opportunities, and the TDU was one of those. You know, there was a, a need in our community to launch uh, an organization, and uh, we, we stepped up and created the Truckee Dirt Union, which is trying to focus sharply on creating positive outcomes for the mountain bike user group in the outdoors. Right, and single track. Yeah, single track radness is, is our manifesto. And, you know, we're ultimately trying to do and you know a, a bunch of different things. I'll, I'll save that, the details of it for another time. But we've received, you know, awesome support the last three years. We're moving into our fourth year and we're really excited about it. Right on. What year was this? Uh, Gray's Cabin. What year was it built? It's the oldest building in Truckee. Is that correct? It's the oldest standing building. So it, it might not have been the first building, but it's the only one that survived or the longest standing building that survived all the fires and challenges yeah. in wow. the history of Truckee. But yeah, it was Joseph Gray's. Um, I believe it was, it was a, a couple of things for him, depending on which era. But in 1858, it was erected. It was a, it was a toll station. And my understanding is that he created a really well-maintained toll station 
ultimately I like to believe that he was one of the, you know, uh, more, you know, business oriented minds in the trucking community that was able to think differently and, and capture revenue from people passing through the region, which you can summarize that up to current times. That's what we're all that's doing. What here, we're, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, yeah, totally. you know, he was the, yeah. the one, obviously the, the traffic was, you know, the, the immigrant trail and, and people migrating West and, you know, living, living the American dream, I guess. Yeah. You know, the gold rush. So 1858, it was erected. It was relocated to its current location. It used to be located over on Jaboom street oh. over on the corner over there. Oh, wow. My understanding. And, and the street itself, which is now Jaboom, I was told was a toll station, a toll road. Yep. He would collect money and then he had a really nice, well-maintained road that went somewhere to where not that long it is sort of like the what i've been told it, it was just but it was like to go around that road was it was, was not like fun not fun so you <laughs> would just you would just buy the station and have that smooth pass you know well, that was the first thing but i've also read that this individual you know joseph gray was also involved wow. in, in many other businesses too and in, in, including boca brewing company and and others you know so he was kind of the og ag check just yeah <laughs> the og ag station that's a good, that's a good analogy right there uh, they don't staff the uh, ag station anymore did you notice that they don't they can what a way can i just say what a waste of resources i don't want to i don't want to diverge from our introduction to matt but i do want to say the ag station i drive through it every time i come to Truckee from Verdi, and what a waste of money like it's just i don't understand it can you can somebody explain it to me mm-hmm. i mean I understand that they're trying to, you know, prevent like diseased fruits and vegetables and nuts and I think firewood from the, coming in. The, but you can do- drive around it if you're gonna yeah, be bringing sure. th- smuggling things in. You could just go around it. It's the major thoroughfare for sure. But then that's I think that's it was the idea is that they could stop just because the Central Valley is such a huge generator of income for California. They're like, hey, it'd be a good idea if we kept out disease. So I, I see why they tried to do it. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, now I, you, have you guys have there. you guys traveled somewhere internationally, and then all of a sudden you're walking through to get back in, or to get on the plane to return to the United States, and like the person in front of you is red flagged and pulled aside and yeah. just searched and checked. Yeah, I think it's you that, know that's from, from it. my perspective, it's really just like, hey, they can check you. Well, they can, but you can also just drive right up to the window, and the person says, "Do you have any fruits or vegetables, sir?" And you say, "No," and they go, "Okay," and then you just drive away, and you could have a whole truck full of stuff. You know it's not, I mean? it's not yeah. hard to actually fool, fool them. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. And they, I don't even think they care. They're just like, they're professional waivers. They just stand there and they wave at you as you drive yeah. by. That's pretty much... I just anyway. wonder how many how many stoners went through there back in the day and just got all nervous every time. Oh, yeah. They're like, what is this? No, oh, it's like God, the like, Republic of California the, checkpoint. Yeah. Hide your stash. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so thanks, Matt, for having us here. And uh, it's a really cool building. Um, and we're, we're pumped to have you here today. The other reason why, you know, we did, we thought Matt would be great to have on the show is because he joined us, um, last weekend on a little adventure that we went on. But before we get to that, um, let's talk a little bit about some, uh, some current events. What's shaking? What's shaking bacon? Well, we'll get to the weather later, which is kind of the weather we close with because it's going to get us all fired yeah, up for the next couple of it weeks. It is snowing right now, but I, I think what, I, I'd like to talk about the couple of skiers that got lost off Sugar Bowl. Uh, it, it, it happened a bit ago. It happened during the last big snow that we had, actually. I think it was February 5th it was the date of their departure from the boundary line of Sugar Bowl, but a couple people got lost off Sugar Bowl. Uh, it wasn't quite said whether or not they ducked a rope or not, but I think they did uh, somehow and then ended up sort of going west off Sugar Bowl. And then and you said up, this was between Disney and Crows? Sat, from what I had read, it sounded like they were going between, did, they were trying to make their way over to Crows, got disorientated, hung a dirty left, and then ended up descending down into Onion Creek. Mm-hmm. And from, from what I'd read, they had you know said that they had tried to boot pack back up but bailed on that endeavor and then took took the path of least resistance and ended up down in Onion Creek, which is really not that far down, I think. And then, you know, did a real common thing that people do in that situation is they broke into a, an old Forest Service building. I wasn't sure if it was a, a bathroom at a campground or some type of building, but to, ended up taking shelter. And luckily, 
the uh, Rockstar Agency of Tile Search and Nordic was dispatched and pretty easily, I think, found their tracks, followed their tracks down there and got them. Wow. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's why we have search and rescue. And uh, I think the conversation to be had is uh, also about being totally prepared when you head out in the backcountry to, uh, to be able to maybe self-rescue and not have to involve Tao Search and Nordic. And, uh, you know, what does that mean for you? What do you, what do you bring in your bag? Uh, you know, what, what are your preparations on wh where you know that you are? Do you have like maybe an app that you use? You know, some of us now are all using different, different apps that don't even need, really need a cell signal, which I think is, it's, I don't even know how trail forks work sometimes when I've been out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, how does this thing even know where I'm at? Which I think is always, you know, it's a really cool uh, tool to be able to use, but can, have you trained yourself on how to do that? Uh, and, and, you know, also do people know where you are? Uh, and then yeah. I think at that one, it, you know, that one's different because it's a ski resort. So they, you know, were, were simply just skiing resort and then got lost. And then I think their family members notified, notified people that they were missing at four o'clock, which was good on their part. Uh, but, you know, I just think it's cool to have a conversation about being prepared every time that you go outdoors and you know, what does that look like? Because it's different every time. Uh, you know, I, I think that people in the military, uh, sort of, you know, learn that as they get, go through their military career. You know, I, I, have listened to a podcast a while back about a guy that when he went over to Afghanistan, he was just loading himself up. He's like, I took 10 hand grenades and 15 cassettes and all this stuff. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he realized quickly that the, some of the other guys that had been over there for a period of time, you know, we're going full minimal light, you know, sort of say Alpine style, like we do sometimes in the yeah. back country. And yeah. that comes with experience. Absolutely. Uh, does. And, yep. and you, you, you know, you, you tune your kit to the day yep. and my kit changes all the time. Uh, yep. you know, and especially what I carry for first aid and whether I'm carrying a way to reach people or what I'm carrying for extra gear, uh, you know, depending upon the day and the mission, I, I will amend the kit. And, uh, I think that's a cool thing to sort of talk about and, and, and for people to sort of think about and, and understand that, you know, you, what you bring out in the woods every time you adventures can be different. Yeah. I, what do you bring Kurt when you, I, out not, an, I mean, not enough. Like I, I definitely should carry a first aid kit and I don't. Okay. Um, and, but I do carry, you know, one thing I carry, I tell you that always comes in handy that people seem to generally forget to carry is a Leatherman. Mm-hmm. Pliers, <laughs> screwdriver, my... right? I helped saved, that one saved, day. You... That was the one thing I didn't have. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A Leatherman yeah, I always good. carry. So I figure I'll carry the Leatherman. Somebody else will carry the first aid Well, kit, that's right? so, you know, <laughs> that on our day on Sunday, we didn't talk about it, but that is sometimes something that I, I'll, I'll bring up at the trailhead and I like, I'll just go over and say, Hey, this is what I got in my pack. Yeah. And then what do you got? Do. Yeah. And what do you got? And what do you got? And then also where are your keys? <laughs> You know, especially right, where if you're to keep them, where, where are your keys or, you yeah. know, a lot of times I'll, I have a, I have a system where I, I leave my keys in the car and then I have a key to unlock, to unlock the car that's in a hiding place. And yeah. so that way you never lose your keys. Right. Uh, but you know, having that conversation, like when we went out on Sunday, I had a Sam splint. I had a pretty good first aid kit, kind of drug heavy. I carry quite a bit of drugs with me because I've found over the years that that's one of the best things you can have if you get into an accident, if someone goes uh, shocky, you know, being able to put some drugs in them. Are you carrying uh, morphine? Uh, I'm carrying like heavy painkillers. Oh. Yeah, and muscle relaxers. And then on the flip side of that one, I'll carry Adderall. Uh, huh. So if I'm ever on a big epic on, on in the Eastern Sierras and I know that I can't fall asleep or I need to go for another 12 hours, yeah. I'll take four Adderall. Uh, so Damn. yeah, I, I carry quite a bit of drugs and then I have like a pretty simple first aid kit and then that can amend if I'm going longer and deeper and then I'll, I'll have like more, you know, some, some additional, uh, you know, things for, you know, compresses and maybe an eye wound kit or whatever it might be. But, you know, I, I basically have two kits, you know, one that's super light Alpine style and then a bigger one as well. I carry uh, a couple of those fire starter nuggets and a lighter. That's smart. I always I, carry a lighter. Yeah. I always you, carry lighter. What about you, Matt? What do you carry? Do you have anything special that is? Yeah, you kind of just you just stole my thunder a little bit. I was gonna say I uh, <laughs> I, I will step step you up one by just saying I have a, a pack of uh, you know weatherproof matches. Yeah. You know, and I guess my yeah my two things, and I have a small first aid kit with 
you know, a lot more uh, over-the-counter oriented stuff than Tom, you know. Uh, but yeah, I've got Advil, I've got Benadryl, yep. I've got, like, I can do a compress, I could do a bandage. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally I bring that thinking I'm going to help somebody else because I want to like add value, right? you know, right. Uh, and, and that's the, the mindset that I approach it with and, but I don't want to carry that much. So it's so small yeah. Tums, I've got some Tums and I know just, you know, from personal experience for long, long, long efforts out on the bike, like yeah, you can, your stomach can get really upset. And if you can't eat, it doesn't matter how much food you're carrying. Yeah, you can't keep so, it down. Yeah, well, you just mm. don't. You won't eat it psychologically, you know. So I think those two things, you know, I, I, the fire is a big thing for me. I, I, I recently had an experience. Went down pretty hard, ended up in the hospital three days in ICU. And, and then I did a bunch of research and reading and, uh, and, and sort of just realized that, like, I, I need fire for a multitude of things. I need to be able to stay warm. Yeah. And I could potentially create a signal, right, with fire. Right, yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Down with the state of the forest around here, as soon as somebody sees smoke in the air, they're going to come running to where the source <laughs> is real fast. <laughs> you don't want that one too bad. Right. Fire the the other big one is a down coat. So having a having a good down is huge, especially in a rescue situation where you maybe need to start a fire to stay warm. But then also having a down coat is is the huge thing. You should I think every backcountry skier should always have a layer of down in their pack, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, it's just easy to carry. It's so light. Yeah, it's and an easy one to carry. It's, yeah. 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 Well, what else are we going to talk about? We, Let's, you know, I was actually, um, we can, do you want to continue on this, uh, this gear thing? Well, or? I think I, I, I'd be, I'd be, I'm, I was stoked to hear Matt's input on, you know, things that he carries for bike riding because I think my kit is sort of the same almost for biking and skiing. Really? Yeah. Uh, interesting but you know other than the fact that the repair kit changes right uh and i think that's a good thing that people should be having dialed is what is their repair kit and i did have to change my kit this year because i changed from being a soft booter to a hard booter i joined the dark side and and got a phantom set up so i did have to go down the rabbit hole of of learning uh quickly what might break with that setup and then Mm -hmm. ordering all those extra parts Mm -hmm. putting it i have a I carry all my stuff in like a really nice little, uh, it's an old DeKind uh, fin or no, I think it was for straps or something, but it's clear so that I can see in it. Uh, And then I have all all my repair stuff in that. And then in the summertime for biking, you know, I think everybody has their own version of what their bike kit is. But, you know, for me, I'm carrying an extra derailleur hanger. Yep. Uh, Derailleur hanger is key, man. uh, Yep. And, you know, extra cleats for my shoes. Uh, and then, you know, obviously chain links, couple chain links is that there's been multiple rides where you like someone breaks a chain and then someone else breaks a chain and then someone else breaks a chain. Well, have you seen those, Uh, those wolf tooth, um, the chain, the chain pliers? So this company wolf tooth makes this thing called it's, you know, the chain pliers when you got to like break the link with a special pair of pliers. So they make this super compact metal, um, uh, pair of pliers, but it, it like slides open. And you can put links inside of it, oh, and then cool. on the other end is a, a tire lever. It's super, and and it comes with like a spare chainring bolt in case you know you, you run chainrings with a spider. Um, so it, it's kind of handy and it's super compact. Like it, it's like takes up no space, and it'll save your day. I love what that company does. Yeah, I, there's some of their stuff's really cool. I've seen some cool stuff too that my a friend of mine has that actually goes inside of your handlebar. Yeah, uh, the outs the, like, you know, where your grips end. Yep. That both the chain brake tool and a normal tool goes in there. Yep. That's that's a really trick little setup. And that's the and it, and now we're on the bike tangent, but like with gear, I mean, that's kind of a direction that a lot of these bike companies are starting to go. You know, you saw specialized like start with the with the SWAT door where you put all your yeah. stuff inside the frame, which I thought I was wondering when somebody was going to do that. I'm like, there's all this hollow space in these carbon bikes. Like, why don't you just stuff, make a door and you can stuff stuff in there. Right. But then they started doing like the integrated tool into the headset, you know, into the top yep. cap and then like under the, the water bottle cage. And it's just handy places to put things so that you don't have to like constantly be putting it, yep. taking out of your pockets and whatnot. But yeah, I don't, and I don't really carry a first aid kit. I, I don't, I should, cause I'm always like, oh, but I'm going to be safe. Right. Like I'm not going to send it that hard. I'll be okay. But that's not how it works. Yeah. That's not the that's snow not snake. How the snow works. snake bites you when you least expect Absol- it. Always does in every way. 
And so I need to get myself like a legit. Well, you keep shredding with me. I'm carrying one. Well, good. Yeah, I, I generally try to ski and ride with friends who are are either EMTs, first wilderness first responders, you know, certified AVI instructors or backcountry guides. So, you know, I surround myself with people who are a lot That's smarter smart. than me. Firemen make good partners. Oh, I go out with firemen <laughs> all the time. That's another one. Yeah, for sure. Firemen, yep. Well, I think one one last thing I'll say then too on the gear thing, and I, I forgot to bring up, I'll turn it back to skiing, but you know, having a, the ability to repair your poles is pretty key. Uh, and I carry like a little kit to be able to, I carry, I use- Do you have a black diamond pole repair kit? I've seen a lot of those break. I, do I carry the extra like, <laughs> this thing's break. <laughs> That's that's like one of the old like when I used to see people show up at the trailhead with Burton skins. Yeah, I'd be like, we're not leaving the parking lot, and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, those things just shouldn't leave the parking lot. And that's a hard no. Uh, but yeah, like I, I carry like the ability to repair my flippy locks. Those the, the other black diamond clap the ones with the wire through them. I'm not a real big fan of, but uh, yeah. like I, I can fix the flippy locks. Yeah. What about tail clips? Do you carry like I do. I carry an extra. So that's definitely in my pack on every day. I carry the the little metal like clip for the tail clip, and I carry the piece of nylon that comes out of my skin that then holds the clip. I carry one of those. Yeah. So I have the ability to fix my skins. Yeah. Ski straps, right? Yeah. That ski strap is huge. It's like one of the greatest outdoor inventions ever because it can work for everything, like not just skiing, but like I've used ski straps riding bikes. I mean, they're super duper useful. It was huge the other day when we needed water. (laughs) That's right. We we actually ski strapped a water bottle to To the end of the pole. And where was able to get the glacier water for Jeremiah of the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Storm was trying to like, Storm was trying to force his way into this uh, waterfall with, you know, and he realized quickly that he was going to fall in the hole. Yeah. And he's like, I can't do this. And had to back out. I was like, dude, you just got to be smarter than the fish, man. Take a pole, (laughs) freaking put your water bottle and strap it and just. Yeah. It took us a lap. It It took us a lap to figure that out. (laughs) We came back. I the mentioned it lap. to you the first lap, but you guys, I, you we were, were, I think you were on another planet. We were, you know? we were under the influence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took some time to figure that uh, one out. Anyway, the one other thing I wanted to mention before we move on to our main topic for the day is um, I was down in Nevada City on Saturday for the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. That was super cool. I. Nevada City's a cool town, man. It's so historic and it's got so much character. I don't go there enough. It's pretty cool. And the show was great. Um, you know, there, we saw some really good movies. Um, the one that I liked the most was one called Game Hawker. It's about this guy, Sean Hayes, who lives in Bishop, California, and he's a, um, a, a falconer. Man, that was a cool, cool. story. That guy's a such straight up badass. Really cool. Um, but yeah. Uh, we had a little f- film showing of uh, Yuri and Chris Rudy in my film uh, Lost on Purpose about gravel riding in the Lost Sierra. And that was cool. We had probably 7,500 people there. And uh, yeah, man, it was an honor to be at that show. Um, I think the only reason why we got selected is because it's like a regional thing. And they, you know, like it was in Grass Valley and then we were talking about Plumas in Sierra County. Otherwise, I don't think we would have been <laughs> accepted in. <laughs> they had mercy on the local boys, so that was cool. The bikers weren't as cool as everybody else. I don't know about that. No, it, it's just more about like, you know, I am not a professional video editor, but I think we did a pretty good job. I mean, like I did go to school for it, so I know a couple of things about sequencing and, and editing video, you know. How, how long was the edit? It's an 11-minute film. Yeah, it's an 11-minute film. Nice lost, lost on purpose. You can pull it up on Vimeo. And give it a look. And there's some great drone shots that we got. Um, and what's really cool, well, not that cool. It's actually very bittersweet, is that we got the last footage of Plumas County before the Dixie fire happened. Wow. Like six weeks before the Dixie, we rode this 200-mile loop, gravel loop, and like eight, 75% of it burned. Um, and so we went back last year and rode it again to see the after effects. And... Uh, Thankfully, it didn't wasn't as bad as we were fearing. Um, you know, there were definitely some totally devastated areas, but there were areas that you know burned either lightly or not at all. Um, but 
yeah, it was definitely kind of a eye opener visually. Yeah. That fire did, did its work up there. Yeah. Sure. Well, in the last 20, in the last, uh, two years, three years, 75% of Plumas County is burned in a series of like three different fires. It's, it's pretty, pretty devastating. And towns, right? Greenville's gone. Um, Canyon Dam. Um, so yeah, it's, man, it's going to be rough for them. I mean, that was another story that I did was the kind of the rebuilding process of Greenville and it's not going to be an easy process. And, you know, it's, how do you bring a town back from nothing? You know, especially a town that was already struggling to begin with. It's a, it's a big challenge, but the people there are resilient, man, and they're determined and they've lived there their whole life and they're not going to walk away, you know, without a fight. So that's cool. And at least they've got the the that part of the forest burning over with. That's true. You know, that's actually yeah. kind of a they good thing. They won't have that problem they for a long time. I think about that here in Tahoe is that, you know, what hasn't burned yet. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's all going to burn. Yeah. Which is another conversation. But Yeah, well, uh, let's move cool. on to speaking oh, yeah. of not burning, since there's like a ton of snow on the ground right now. And I'm looking out the window and it is like snowing sideways. Um, but, you know, just a couple of days ago, it was full on spring conditions. Um, Powbot and Matt and myself, we headed up to uh, Johnsville, which is in the Lost Sierra, just above Green uh, Gray Eagle. And we went to the historic longboard races. And if you're not familiar with the historic longboard races, it's an event that's been going on for a long time. Um, it celebrates the the invention of downhill ski racing in the world, not just in America, but before the gold rush, nobody was like taking two sticks and pointing them down the mountain, like full send. Like you had telemark skiing. Yes, that already existed, but nobody was ever like toe to toe racing, like straight up down a mountain. And until these crazy gold miners in the La Sierra, uh, who were snowbound in the winter decided we got to do something other than sitting in our cabin under 30 feet of snow and getting drunk and you know, dying of alcoholism, <laughs> drinking whiskey. <laughs> so they went out in the woods and they milled up some planks of wood and they strapped some leather straps to them and they sent it down the mountain. And this culture has been kept alive with the longboard races. They do, uh, you know, the third week of January, February, and March. And uh, they everybody dresses up in old-timey clothes and there's old-timey music and there's old-timey drinking and, and, and cursing and like good times. I mean, it's family-friendly. For sure, it's a hundred percent family. It's like one of the best family things. I think Matt, you even said that, didn't you? Like, I gotta bring my family to this. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was there the yeah. whole time. Yeah, yeah. it's like, dude, I'm standing around drinking beer. Like, this would be so much more fun with my family. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to get your guys' impression of that because you hadn't seen it before. It was your first time. That was my first time going up there, and it was so neat just to step back in time. And I think they do a really good job recreating that feeling of stepping back in time. And I think that just, you know, Johnsville and Plumas County sort of just has that in its own DNA yeah. because it hasn't been spoiled in, in certain ways. Uh, but yeah, what a, it was a really neat event. And like, they, they send it. Uh, have have <laughs> the do. and the women were sending it too. The women, really I was more it. impressed almost by them. Totally. They were really. It, it seemed like it was almost more competitive for the women early on. Yeah, and then the men got competitive in the last like two or three races. Yeah, well, there were like three times as many men competitors, and I think a lot of them were either newer, like maybe okay. first timers. And then the core, like the core lords, kind of came in, and then it got real competitive. But the women, yeah, there were only I think sixteen women, and they were all I think pretty experienced. So, has it always been head to head? Is that yeah. even how they did it back in the day? Yeah, it was, it was head like to head, the head, head single racing. elimination, oh, right? So cool. And then usually, like the last, like them for the men's final um, last weekend, they did a three up. Sometimes they'll do a four up. Oh, that that'd be hectic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. But I love the head-to-head format. Like that's yeah. you know that's why I'm all enthralled with watching professional surfing. I love watching professional. That that is my sport. I love watching professional surfing, and yeah. it's because it's head-to-head. Right. Uh, just that it's man versus man versus nature. Yep. And to me, that's the most enthralling thing to watch in sport. And you know, and I guess with surfing, it's a little bit more nature because they're they're dealing with the ocean. Right. And with that, they're just dealing with a super slick race course. Right. Uh, but 
that the man the man on man is really cool and that's what Travis Rice has done with his whole other tour that he's doing now and I, that's why I think that's been so successful uh, uh, is that it's man on man yeah and the way that they run the the format is it's a you know a ping pong ball and it's just sort of random on who or actually I think the last time people got to choose who like you had the option to choose who you wanted to compete against so that there was a lot of chess pounding going on and be like, Oh yeah, I'll totally take Travis first round. I don't know. What, what uh, are you talking about? The natural selection know. tour that the, oh, the okay. tour where they do Jackson hole, they do, uh, they do bald face, which is where it was originally, where, where it was originally held. So I think now the tour is Jackson bald face. And then they, then they go to AK mm-hmm. and it's like, to me, it's re- absolutely redefined like what a free ride contest should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's also, I think where surfing should go to, mm-hmm. uh, because w- the cool thing about they didn't get the best conditions in Jackson last year, but what's neat about that is that they can really, uh, they have an event window and so they can run the event in the best conditions. Mm-hmm. And so like natural selection in, in Alaska last year was off the hook. Like just the, it was the coolest thing to watch because the guys were just getting, you know, here they are in an AK, like with perfect spine lines, just sending and it's man on man. Was it cooler uh, than the longboards? Uh, no, <laughs> but yes, I don't know. That's a little, sorry to spin it on that, but I just like man on man, man on man or woman on woman or, you know. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? What did you, what was your impression of the event? Overall, I thought, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised I, you know, I, I've heard about it. I've read about it. You know, I've wanted to go probably as long as it's been going, as long as I've been around here. And uh, I thought it was really neat to see how quickly they would get moving, just the actual physical act of, of competing. Mm-hmm. These huge skis, which it seems like you have such like variable, you know, degrees of control that yeah. you're manipulating. So from my perspective, it seemed like it was a kind of a finesse. You wouldn't think of it as this, but it's, it's such a, like there's not much sort of mechanical movement happening by the human right you know versus like you know somebody's doing a skate skiing event that's you know 100 meters long which is i don't know how long the course was but i you know i think it'd probably be like 100 feet or something like that right so they're just getting into this position they're getting up to speed and then they're trying to stop and it's over yeah and like how who wins who decides who wins (laughs) what decides who wins is it like a quarter of an inch of you know ankle flexion or something that's going on that we're not seeing like that was what was going through my mind, just trying to break it down. Mm-hmm. And like, what happens when you fall? I don't know if I saw anyone fall. Did you? You know what? Surprisingly, not. Yesterday or on Sunday, there everybody was pretty good, man. Sometimes you see some nasty wrecks, um, I, but I, I didn't really see fall. any nasty ones. Everyone was like, oh, you know, they fell on their butt or they side slided or something. But they no seem face to, downs. They no seem to be downs. hip checking. Yeah, yeah, that's what you want to do. I've seen people high side. You don't want to high side a 12 foot pair of skis. You get your tick, the tip dug in, and then all of a sudden it's like pole vaulting. You don't want that with a 12 foot ski. That's no good. Before you guys move on, I want to just like rewind a second back to that natural selection piece you yeah. were talking about. Yep. Or that, that, that line of thought. Um, the first one, from my recollection, was actually at Jackson Hole. And I was there. It was, it was like a, my 30th birthday. And, uh, a mutual friend, uh, Mike Bassich, reached out or somehow I got connected with him. He was traveling out there to judge or be a participant um, in the judging of the first natural selection, which got snowed out Jackson Hole. My 30th birthday, I ended up riding with Mike Bassich, Jackson Hole Potter, oh, with everyone who was there for the event, mind-blowing, snowboarding. And it was so cool, like realizing you're going to go up the tram and I was fortunate enough to be in the tram with Travis and, you know, just a bunch of legends, which at the time I was like, yeah, whatever. But like when he's bouncing around off the wall, like I knew something was up. And then as soon as we dropped in, I mean, this is like the greatest, you know, snowboarders. Everyone's dropping at the same time. And it, that was the last time I saw anyone. <laughs> it was like gang shred. But it was just so much fun. And I ended up spending the weekend riding that mountain with Mike Bassett cool. who knows it really well and we got to tuck into some really neat terrain and that was my best experience you know my only really experience at Jackson Hole but one of my best experiences overall on a snowboard very cool he's a fun dude to shred with 
I grew up snowboarding with Mike here in Truckee back in the day. He and his sister, Tina, were from Sacramento, and then I lived here in Truckee. We actually com- used to compete against each other. Had a, a couple good couple good run-ins at the old Boreal and Donner Ski Ranch back in the day. But, yeah, I, I used to run into him in, at, in Snowbird. And, like, he, what a f- fun dude to shred with. Yeah, he's definitely a legend. Yeah, it goes way back. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you across the garage. The guy who never uses me. I've been hanging in the rafters for years. My top sheet's buried in dust. My rails are rusty. I haven't seen wax since I was new. You're always grabbing that shiny new board next to me. I want a new owner, man. You're lame. Am I hallucinating? No. This is your old split board speaking. I'm sorry, you're right. But I hate selling stuff online. Nothing but scammers or thieves will come by to the house, case the joint, and rob me. Well, maybe if you got robbed, I'd get a new home. There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zink and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters and seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. I want to see somebody send longboards off Corbett's. (laughs) (laughs) Just huck it with a 12-foot pair of sticks and see if you can hang on down the chute. <laughs> Have you seen the, the ski jump that was just across the river here from where we're at now up at Cottonwood? At Cottonwood? Hilltop, actually, back in the day. I, no, I haven't seen pictures of it, no. It, but it's exactly that. These guys own these long skis. On long skis. Holy flying crap, through the air. Man, dude, that's like, so crazy, dude. And just sketch. Sketchy. The structure. The photo of the structure. Dang. Ugh. Well, so you had mentioned, you know, what was going through your head, like what, what determines who wins. And I think the best, I mean, there's a, there's a saying in, in the longboard circle that dope is king and dope is wax. And so um, back in the day, in the early days of ski racing, uh, the longboards, um, it was a two man team. It was the skier. And then there was your chemist, your mixologist, the guy, the dope man. And the dope man would mix up, you know, depending on the snow conditions, you know, they would use like pine tar or, or sperm whale or sperm whale oil or, you know, all these different things like carnauba wax. Um, and they would, you know, mix based on uh, the conditions. And the dope was everything. Like without the dope, you weren't going to win. And um, the, the best example of that is in the history. There's this book called Gold, Ghosts, and Skis, The History of Skiing in the Lost Sierra. And it documents from the very beginning of downhill ski racing, how this all went down. And Snowshoe Thompson, right? You're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Snowshoe Thompson was this legendary telemark skier from Norway who delivered mail across the Sierra Nevada in the 1860s. And he was like the man. You know, he would go out into snowstorms by himself and deliver mail from Placerville over to like the east side of the Sierra and like, you know, Carson Valley. He used to go over Carson Pass. Yeah. And so... You know, the Plumas County ski boys heard about this Snowshoe Thompson guy and were like, ah, oh, he's no great shakes, man. Let's, hey, Snowshoe, you know, sent him a message like, hey, why don't you come on up to Plumas County and see what you got? You know, let's try your hand at a longboard race. So he goes up there and he competes and gets waxed, literally, because he didn't know that dope is king. He had the technique. He could out ski any of those guys technique wise, but he didn't have the wax on his skis and he got beat. And so um, the other day at the Hill, there was this matchup. Um, one guy, uh, Max Breedlove, who's you know, a really skilled skier, like has the technique, gets super low in the tuck, um, sits way back and aerodynamic. And this other guy who I didn't know, but he was an older guy and like heavier set. And he and like Max like pull, you know, like because they, they hit the gong and then you, you have this single stick and then you push off with this stick as hard as you can and get going. And so Max just like sticks like a crazy person to get going. And the other guy is kind of sticking, you know, somewhat hard, but Max gets the jump on him. And as they go down the hill, man, Max is fully talked, 
this other guy, the old the old timer, is still like basically almost standing up vertical, like totally non aerodynamic, and he creeps on Max and then just rolls right by him and wins. And I'm like, that's what the dope's all about, right there. Dope like, is king. Dope is king. Like he, he had no aerodynamics at all, and he still won. So it's all about the dope. Man. It's all about the wax. It's all about that wax. And those dude, back in the gold rush days, those were big competitions. Like all these, you know, um, gold mining camps would get together and compete, and it was big money, like thousand like dollar kind of purses, thousand dollars in eighteen sixties. That's like an, that's an insane amount of money back then. And it was like everything. It was their entertainment, you know, like that was what they did for sport and community back in those days. And all these mining camps that are now not even, you know, there's it's just trees in the woods where there used to be like a thousand people living there back in the 1860s. They had a ski team. All these mining camps had ski teams. I thought that was a pretty cool aspect of the event is that they still sort of paid homage to the, to the different camps. You know, there mm-hmm. was, there was the, people from Plumas, there was the people from Sierraville, there was, you yeah. know, they had different teams. Alturas. There was almost like a, a team aspect to it. That yep. was neat. Yep. Do they have a mountain bike team this summer? Who, the, who? The mining camps. The mining camps. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it would not, they do now. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the oh. Lost Sierra Composite, you know, the, they have a high school, um, the, like in Quincy, they have a high school mountain bike team for NICA for the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, and they're these kids are man, they're they're freaking tough, man. They're mountain kids, you know. They're 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 hardy people, and uh, yeah. So they, the culture is alive and well up there, man. Both oh, mountain and ski. Yuba Yuba expeditions versus Downeyville outfitters. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Uh, that wouldn't be. I don't know. That wouldn't be much of a competition anymore. There, Yuba's not in Downeyville anymore. I know, but. Um, so the other thing that we did when we were up there was go for a tour. My, one of my favorite things to do on that, on a longboard weekend is to go up there early, go for like a four hour tour on Eureka peak and then come back and watch the longboards. And we did that and, uh, it was a great day and you guys nailed it. joined in. Yeah. Let's take us through like the day. Cause you guys hadn't done that before. So, um, give me your impressions and kind of how the day went. Well, I had actually sort of done it with you just a couple weeks right. prior. So but that it was, was pal. That was my first time touring right. up there with you. And we had snuck up there after Tahoe had sort of been uh, demolished by some east winds. And that place was holding pow. Uh, yeah. We had a great tour there and uh, ended up skiing what we skied our first run that day. We'd, we'd sort of spent a good portion of our morning shredding pow over there. And then we, we bumped over to, uh, I think what you called museum bowl, yep. uh, and did a nice run over there and then made our way back out that, that first day. So that was my first time there. But, uh, you know, I had heard stories about what we skied on Sunday, which is the big South feature, uh, you know, that we were able to chase corn in and, uh, you know, we sort of timed our day appropriately because corn's all about timing. You know, they call it, there's some people say that there's like a Goldilocks period of the day where you can just sort of hit it right. Uh, where it's, it has, you know, softened enough to where you can, you can score good turns on it, but it hasn't turned to mashed potatoes yet. So, uh, and explain to people who don't know, maybe like what constitutes corn snow? What, what is corn snow? Corn snow, uh, is a blessing and, and it's a gift from the gods so that we can have tons of fun when there's not powder. Uh, but what it, what it is, is it's, uh, you know, it, it's basically when the snowpack goes through a cycle of, 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 thawing and refreezing, uh, without, you know, the influence of new snow then. So, uh, you know, and the Sierras are, are a great place for it as well as the Cascades because we have such a deep snowpack. So you don't get any influence of, of water transport or other things happening overnight, but like basically like the snowpack set up and it's, it's thawing during the day and then refreezing at night. And then the surfaces of the snow granulizes. And then when it, those grains of, of snow that had frozen as they soften in the morning, they make just like this perfect surface. Uh, it's almost like a ball bearing feeling. Uh, and it's special. Like corn is, you know, if, if you're into it, it's one of those things where I think people rank their, you know, their favorite types of snow. There's pow. And then for me, it's, you know, there's all the sub variations of pow. But then you, there, there's wind buff, which I love. Uh, and then there's corn. And then there's everything in between and different versions of that. But corn is just fantastic when you hit it. Uh, you know, and this, we happen to live in a place where uh, it's something that we, we 
get quite often, especially when we go into like a long period without weather and storms, uh, you get dished up a, a serving of corn and then, you know, you get to do the corn dance. And, uh, you <laughs> That's know, the corn dance. Well, the corn dance is, is what you do when you get, you get good get good corn. And I think that everybody that's listening, uh, if they've experienced good corn, uh, they should do the corn dance right now. Because <laughs> as we go through the spring, like we're talking about corn because it's, it, you know, when we're not skiing power, we're skiing corn. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing that I love about corn too, is that like it, it, you, you take the dragon out of the picture with right. corn. Yeah. It's way, uh, way safer. You mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's something that's it's such a heavy thing in our world sometimes. And we're yeah. out shredding in the backcountry, and we're always dancing around the avalanche mitigation and and playing that game. Uh, but I mean, I I fully have embraced corn from years ago because I I, I realized that it the, the dragon sleeps, and uh, it's pretty neat when the dragon sleeps because you can go out and have a full day in the mountains uh, and not be worried about the dragon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, it's what I, I like doing huge solos sometimes when there's corn cycles because I can just leave all the gear in the car. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll take a shovel, uh, just in case I have to spend the night and, you know, do a little, you know, dig a pit or something and, and put myself in it. But like, you know, I, I'll, I'll go on a huge solo without my beacon and without a probe and w- without all that extra gear and, and just not worry about the dragon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, and, and it allows you to gang shred. Like, you know, there was a p- part of us when we got in that tube mat where we were fully gang shredding it. And like, I love that. I like, I love a good gang shred and corn allows you to do that. There were definitely a couple of moments for sure. that felt like, dang, it was so, so good. You know, I want to ask you though, there's two things. Mm-hmm. One, and, and let me ask you both. Then you could maybe just follow both of the questions up with answers. One, did you feel ever at risk during the day? And then, and then, uh, We'll come back to two because I already forgot it. So. Sure. Well, for me, no. Uh, no, my guard was totally let down that whole day. You know, because I, I, I knew, you know, I, I, I think the first line we skied was actually sort of old pal that had been affected by, uh, you know, some, some warming, some, some temperature variation. Yeah. yeah. Like the trees had shed and then, you know, that, that rock feature that we were skiing adjacent to had shed. So there was some like weird effects to the snow there but i mean basically it was just old old pow and like we haven't had any abbey danger in tahoe for some time uh even on north and east uh there wasn't any wind effects and no i was you know i was not worried about anything at all that day yeah. uh, i actually proposed in the parking lot to leave gear in the car but uh you know we i, I think because we were gonna ski north pow a little bit it, it made sense to bring it but yeah. uh no to no. answer that question uh, you know, I think my, uh, like, I've been in such humble warrior mode for the last six months, you know, just uh, living living a, a full dose. I feel like my senses are super heightened. Mm-hmm. And there was only one moment for me. It was when I drifted back to catch a photo of you guys as you were crossing a wide open, you know, area. And it wasn't until I'd, like, stashed my camera and realized that you guys were already half across this frozen lake. And that I was going to have to, like get to you guys and sure. I wasn't so sure where I was but I could definitely discern that this was a frozen lake and that I was alone and I don't have any rope yep. and I was oh, like oh interesting yeah, yeah so that... like I saw you guys and I put all of my you know my two bit skills of uh, t- you know track skiing on skinny skis to work and was just I don't know if you saw how much glide I was getting across that lake you ran across I, the lake I <laughs> You did catch up because I looked back and you were way at the hell over there. And then by the time we hit the other side, I looked back and you were right there. I was like, oh, he was, he was turbo coming across that. You thing. know, I mean, you know, a couple of people who know me really well would have looked at me and said, Chappie, you need to take a shirt off, bro. Like you are sweating. <laughs> Frozen lakes are a weird one. You know, uh, I've spent so much time in the Eastern Sierras that my tolerance for him is sort of is probably a little jaded uh, because they do provide a faster way to navigate through the mountains. So once you sort of get comfortable with that, I think your your level of tolerance for that fear goes down. Uh, and especially after having a winter that we're having, like I, there's, I have no concern about any of the frozen lakes in the Sierras right now. Like they are- No, it's been cold. They're a bomber. Uh, but I, I feel you, it's a weird feeling. Like it actually, it, uh, when I was down in the Eastern Sierras uh, about a month ago or so, we were coming back from Mount Laurel and crossing Convict Lake. And, you know, I, 
had put a little distance between myself and my partner. So we were in the same situation. We were, we were, you know, skinning about a hundred to 200, maybe 300 yards, even separate. I, I could smell the beer in the car. So I was kind of moving fast. Uh, and, and I walked through a little area that had some like low water and like, I freaked out. I was like, Oh my God, like, it's, you know, and then, you know, my skins got wet, but like, it really was just like a, a little low indentation of, of, of sitting water. Mm. And, uh, but I did have that feeling of like, my spider senses were like, Oh my God, are you going in? <laughs> so I know that feeling. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, fro yeah, frozen lakes are a weird one. I think the more time you spend crossing them, like you'll get more comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Matt, it was your first time out at Eureka, right? What did yeah. you think about that zone? Visually, it was incredible. Like you could see well, once we got up to the peak and we could see across to the buttes and then how far they were yeah. know, from where we were. Yeah. You know, I think visually it was, or aesthetically it was, it was just a gorgeous place to be in. Yeah. You know, and then, and then also just sort of like, it didn't really feel like we were very, very far out either. So I like that. Right. You know, it's right. comforting, you know? Um, yeah. It's kind of roadside. Roadside access. And the terrain is yeah. great. And it was a modest, I felt like it was a real modest approach. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a good day. We yeah. had a great crew too. Let's throw a shout out to our other friends that joined us that day too, eh, Kurt? Yeah, uh Ryan Solomon. Yeah. And uh Dane what's Dane's last name? I don't know. The Dane train. The I'll, Dane train. I don't, we we've been friends adjacent, <laughs> like, but it was really cool to hang out with them, man. Those guys are legends. Yeah. Like their story of what they what they did last year with that paddleboard oh, the trip. Paddle oh my goodness. Dude, what a cool trip. They do some Ryan and Dane do some mega paddleboard like adventures 300 miles on a paddleboard in alaska yeah that was a really cool they, they story. said they, they did like 50 miles in one day and it was all like just like mellow water like fast moving water but not rapidy it's just like you know alaska <laughs> big big river yeah they said they sort of had to like divert like the the bush pilot was like well you can't drop you here which was plan a but i could drop you here plan b and that's gonna make it another seven days longer yeah and they, yeah. and they just sent it that's crazy it's impressive man. yeah yeah and then our uh and then i the thing that struck me most is like you know we get done and we're like all right we're down at the museum our cars are up at the parking lot we got to get back up to the parking lot it's about 500 vert to get back up to the parking lot we can thumb a ride you know or my buddy matt's driving shuttle he'll pick us up we get to the parking lot man and there are all these cars going by and there's no shuttle showing up and then you know we walk out to the road to try and thumb a ride and, you know, a couple, like Dan, you, Dan and I jumped in a car. You and Dan got the some, first some, ride. Some hippie right girl, got that, some, some hippie girl gave us a ride <laughs> right away. Some, she was yeah. rad. And then, and then Solomon was like, I'm just standing here. I'm just going to have my thumb out till I catch a ride. And then Matt and I start walking and then Ryan goes by in the back of a car and he's like waving at us. Like, Shit. <laughs> he's and like then, in the back of a two door, like Toyota Tercel. Yeah, and he's like hanging back. on the window. He's like mashed back there. He's got his skis inside with him in this little sedan it's <laughs> just smiling and we're like damn it and then there was this like old timer guy man like he has this f-150 pickup he picks up these two women and they get in the back it's like an extra cab they get in the back of the extra cab and he's outside and i i say to him hey do you mind if we and he opens the tailgate because he had like a tonneau cover you know one of those foldable ones and I see that the bed's empty and i'm like hey man do you mind if we jump in the in the bed of your truck and he just looks at me he's like no and he turns and he gets back now. in his truck i'm like well thanks anyway like dude what the heck? first time here like you know what i mean like most people in plumas county are pretty chill they're like yeah man get in the back you know dude, that, he's that, from that guy was like he's from <laughs> <laughs> hell no <laughs> Now you had a Park City and you, sticker. And you, and, you were, Park City. and you were like... <laughs> you literally had a Park City sticker. And I was like, I should have guessed. But anyway, I tried. I'm sure you were just sitting there thinking this. <laughs> bruh. Come on, brah. Yeah. It was kind of every man for himself there. And then it getting, was wild. We, we finally, Matt and I finally got in the back of this nice woman's truck and with this other uh, old timer from Chester who was super cool. And uh, we start going up the road, man, and realize real quickly, holy hell, there's a lot of cars. Like, it was parked both sides of the road from the parking lot at Eureka all the way down into Johnsville. Both sides. I'd never seen that before. That was crazy. You know when you're like 14 years old and you're like, hey, hey, Dad, can I 
can I try one of those beers? And he just, without hesitating, looks over at you. And the only thing that comes out of his mouth is, no. <laughs> that was what this dude said to Kurt totally. when he tried to get in the back he of his stonewalled truck. He stonewalled the shit out of him. just like, what? All right, then. Never mind. I felt like I was, seriously, I felt like I was like a 15-year-old being like reprimanded by an adult. You know, just like, he looked at me like with this like, are you kidding me? And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> Like ooh, well there denied. was no there was Dang. no shortage of people to give us a ride. So like no, I, it was I, awesome. I'll give yeah, a shout awesome. out to that situation too. I, I think yeah, looking at it, even though it was my first time there, but I got the gist of it that it was maybe the the busiest sh- or the the best showing that they had for that event. Absolutely, ever. first and I've ever seen. And, and check this out: like the mom and son who picked up you and I, Kurt, yeah, yeah, plus one plus another dude from Quincy who said he was there. He's 70 years old. He's from Chester, yeah. Chester, he came to check it out. Picked all three of us up. Drove us all the way up front row and scores a front row parking spot. Because the dude she picked up along with us backed out and and blocked traffic so she could get his spot. Like, styling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, the people that all drove past us circled around. I had to drive drove back all then. the way back down. You know, <laughs> karma. Was there was karma. a ton of people. Man, karma like, is a thing, man. And I, I just, I'll, I'll say too that then I, I hope that the that that whatever the Plumas Ski Club is, I think that's the right. Yep. They're called the Plumas Ski Club. Like if, if the yep. listeners want to, it'd be you know go check it out or also donate to them. Yep. Uh, Plumas Ski Club because they are trying to resurrect the old lift there. Yep. Uh, it's an old surface lift. And, uh, you know, it's funny, like the last couple of times I've been up there, I've, I've tagged the little resort that I grew up skiing in Michigan, uh, which was their, their slogan is rope toes forever. It's Mulligan's hollow. I'll give them a shout out. Shout out, out Mulligan. Uh, but they've, they, they've been super stoked on the fact that I've given them a shout out that a couple of times I've been up there, but like, you know, they, I would like to see Plumas ski club, get that lift running again. Me too. And, man. uh, I think it would be, be a great cool. thing for that community. It'd be a great thing yeah. for the local kids, yeah. uh, get them skiing. You know, even if it's just a, like, you have no idea the influence that a small hill has on a, on a kid's life or, and on a community. So like, even yeah. just a little hill like that is a huge win. Like yeah. I, I don't, I would never want to see a major ski resort going up there because I think it's pretty cool just the way it is. Yeah. But like a little community ski hill, like, you know, everybody in North America needs to start supporting the small community ski hills because it's going to keep skiing alive yep. and it does it makes such a big impact on kids lives sorry to get serious here for a minute but like this, this is a great topic this man. is something that i'm super topic. passionate about yeah like i'm a Absolutely. i'm a huge fan of of the resorts in north america that have not joined the death star pass system and they've been able to keep their identities and keep a core thing going at their ski resorts so please let's get plumas ski, like the little plumas ski hill back open be right. yeah you know, plumaskiclub.org, they're taking donations. They happily take donations. They put, they just rebuilt the deck on the Intorf, in the Intorf Lodge there, the historic lodge. That deck, they rebuilt that thing this summer with custom milled lumber um, from one of the volunteers. And so they, they milled all the wood. They built that thing. That deck is bomber. It's all oh, dimensional, cool. like just beautiful lumber. Um, so they've poured their hearts and souls into that hill and it's a special place. It's a historic place. It's a beautiful place. It's a hell of a good place to go backcountry skiing. And, uh, yeah, man. Kurt, where did you start skiing? What resort? What hill? Oh, um, man, the Poconos. (laughs) Do you know where the Poconos are? No. Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania. When I was like six, seven years old, would go Camelback Hill, (laughs) And uh, Jack Frost, and then uh, graduated to, what was it called, Deer Mountain or something like that, north of Scranton. And then when I lived in Pittsburgh, we'd go to Seven Springs and Hidden Valley and up into New York. And so like mid-Atlantic East Coast as a kid, and then in college, more New England, like my family was living in Boston, so I'd be going up to Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont a lot. Um, But yeah, all East Coast. But then I would occasionally the big trip was once a year we had some friends who were mega ballers and they had a house in aspen and a jet it was and they flew us out dude i swear to god this was some crazy stuff (laughs) it was in high school and our friends like picked us up with their lear jet in pittsburgh and we're not dude we're not anywhere in the stratosphere of this level of 
operation, right? We're just like, they're like poor friends. And they picked us up and they flew us out there for Thanksgiving. And so we'd be in this mega baller house looking at Aspen Mountain and the Highlands and in a hot tub. That's epic. Just like, That's Aspen Extreme. Was, no, we're living it, Aspen. It was Extreme. right when Aspen Extreme came out. So we were just like, we're living that right there. You know, we're living that shit. And it was so cool. We're techie. It's so, oh yeah. And so I learned to ski the big stuff on Aspen Mountain. Now, Aspen's a real freaking mountain, dude. It is steep. It is narrow, right? It's like choke points and like steep train, big bumps, big moguls. Like, it's a real freaking mountain, and I learned to yeah. see that in high school. So that was like, yeah. That was Once you get that little it. taste of the West, it, you, oh, man. you can't get it Yeah, out. I never could come back. After I graduated mouth. high school, I was like, I'm going West, Mom and Dad's. I'll see you later. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, we're closing we're, in we're, on an we're, hour we're here. We're actually at an hour. So Are we? So uh, let's let's close it out with some uh, weather. Yeah, so. You know, because we got some stuff coming. You know what's coming? You know what's coming is Thunder snow. Thunder snow. Lightning strikes. Holy smoke. Totally lit up the sky. You can have your $500 million jackpot. Oh, what the hell is this now? Is that Jim Cantori? Yes. Dude. <laughs> We're about ready to get into some, some thunder snow. They're calling bro. for it, aren't they? I, 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 I someone, thought I read in the forecast there might be some thunder snow. Someone told me that, but like, I'm just fucking. Like, so I use Jim Cantori for that soundbite because no one gets more excited about Pal than I do. So, like, yeah, we're we're about ready to go back into the Pow Town here. I, for well, there's been parts of the West Coast and and elsewhere that's been in Pow Town. Like everyone in Utah has just been shredding pow for since the beginning of time this season. Uh, we did just have a corn cycle, but everyone else has still been shredding pow. But T- Tahoe's about ready to get back in the game big time, the way I see it. Oh, it's looking really you good. Know, cold and deep. It's cold. Uh, we're going to have a weird bed surface. I'll just bring that one up. So, like, you know, be I, heads up for the be first heads up day. for the first couple of days. It's yeah. going to be, it'll be dust on crust and it's going to take some. It, It'll be it just we've got a weird bed surface out there because we just haven't had snow for two weeks. Yeah. So uh, I think the, I think low angle pow is going to be on order tomorrow and the next day. Yeah. But moving past that, I think that we're going to be in pow town. You know. Yeah. Everybody, all the you know, some people are hyping it. Like I love this guy Chris Tomer. He's got a weather blog. He's based out of Colorado. He stepped away from a, a forecasting job for one of the I think one of the Fox affiliates there in Denver. And he's making a living now just blogging about POW. But he's like, he's been hyping 70 inches in Mammoth this week or in, in this week oh, and wow. in next week. Uh, so, I mean, people are talking about a, a pretty big cycle for us. And so I'm fired up for some thunder snow. <laughs> I just think it's amazing that we were two days, the two best days of corn skiing I've ever had. And then tomorrow and Thursday is going to be boom, pow to pow town. The Sierra rules, man. I swear. Like, yeah, it's a little different game when you can do that. I, I went with my bike today. I, I was I shredded brown pow this morning with the hopes of doing brown pow to white pow in 24 hours. That's freaking great, man. Good job. Way to get after it. Nice. You get after it, man. It was a good, it was a good morning. Uh, so, yeah, the, we're wrapping up with weather. I think, you know, it'll be exciting to see what happens this week and come back and have a conversation about face shots. Are you guys ready to shovel? It's been nice to have a break. It has been nice, huh? <laughs> yeah. But I'm feeling pretty fresh. Are you ready? Yeah, you, you got your shovel. Ar- yeah, your arms are... I did get to handle all my ice dams at home, too, and at work. You know, I think that's something that's been real real for a lot of people in Tahoe this yeah. winter. Is yeah. It's just the ice the ice situation that oh, happened. It's been bad. It's been man. really Even hard. Even in Verdi, it's been bad. If it's in the shade, it's just like 10 inches thick. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for having us. Here at the Grace, the historic Grace Cabin, it's been super cool. Yeah, I forgot to tell you guys that I locked all the doors, so we're locked in right now. And <laughs> it's gonna there, start snowing. We, we had we had the building analyzed by a spiritual analyst. There are people oh, who do ghosts. that. Oh, have have you guys here. have you heard of this? Yeah, yeah. There are two old dudes that live apparently up here. Yeah, on the okay. second floor. All right, and they're real grumpy. Is one of his names Stinky Larry? I haven't met their. I haven't actually met them physically. I've 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 heard them though, and you might hear them. 
it is interesting, but the analyst told us that we just needed to power down all the electronics at night. And that was like their request. Oh, that no. was the result of the, you know, we the, the, analysis. Data, the analysis. Yeah. It was like, turn off the electronics. And so like, basically yeah, we cool. can't podcast past eight o'clock. We might I have, think it's like we 10. Ha- we might have an unannounced the... special guest if we do. Maybe we should just like record all night here one night and see who shows up. <laughs> we might not hear it until post-production when we're like going through it. Like, did you hear that? What was that? <laughs> My wife would listen. Thundersnow. <laughs> My wife would listen to the show if we actually had a ghost on. <laughs> we got a ghost bot. Maybe there's a ghost bot out there. If we just hang out for like another half hour, you might, you might get it. You might get the wish. But yeah, this building was a, a stop on the Truckee Historical Haunted Tour. Have either of you guys been to that? No. No, I've seen the, them walk, the I've seen them walk by, go. though. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a that. stop. It's, it's a, a community theater event, and they reenact stories of history in these historic settings throughout mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. And it's a moving you know, uh, show. So you walk from point A to point B to point C to point D throughout the night. You see different small acts in each location that represent you know, a moment in time. And uh, yeah, community theater, killer writing, you know, great acting. And uh, great fundraising. When is that? Good question. I, I think it's in the fall. Okay. Yeah. yeah I would and love it to sells out. Like, I haven't actually gone the last two years. Because you couldn't get a ticket. I didn't make it. Yeah. Okay. The, the only way I can get a ticket is if, if we, we host it here, which we did once. That was, uh, that was the year I got Is ticket. this one of the stops? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Three years ago, four years, or, th- or maybe it didn't happen during shutdown or lockdown, but before that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a stop downstairs in the fireplace room. Yeah, it was super eerie. Nice. Apparently, someone was was knifed to death in the alley, and brought back one of Joseph Gray's employees, and was brought back here. Wow! And so they reenacted Whoa. that sequence of him Crazy. dying. Yeah, down in the fire room, Man. fireplace room. Yeah, a lot of Wild West stuff. I think so I, is that I the think ghost? I hear him right now. No, I don't think that's the ghost. But there were generations. This was like a generational building home for for multiple people in his family. There were several in yeah. history. There was a bunch of different people that were living here. Yeah. And had years. kids here and raised families here. And... Yeah. Yeah. Even all the way down to like, there was, I met the last, there was a, there's a woman in Truckee today, I, I believe. It's been several years since I met her, maybe five or six years ago. She was working at a, a store in town. I met her, told her, you know, I was building some, or I was building something here. I was buying some supplies to come back here and kind of explained it to her. And I was like, oh yeah, this is for Gray's Cabin. It's a pretty cool building, you know. Like oh yeah I know that building, She's like I was I lived there we were the last family that lived in it and I was like oh cool you should come check it out. Sometime. She's like no so, thanks. Exactly dude. <laughs> she was like no I've never been so cold in my life like I'm never going back there. <laughs> no. I was like well hey we put in air we we got four skating now it's amazing. <laughs> well shall we wrap this one up? Boys? Yeah thanks Matt thanks again yeah, thank you it was thank awesome you. yeah thank you. yeah good time up here in the. Second story, the cabin. Yeah, absolutely. Episode two. Thanks for listening to episode two of Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisper. Until next time, get out there, get deep, and put your mind in the track. Mm-hmm.